You're about to listen to Grace Pills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor at Caris Center International. Reverend Josh Lai is a preacher of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed as you listen. Accurately dividing the word by the word, 12, and then faith, healing, and wealth, 11. Can we pray? Father, we thank you once again to share fellowship. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the joy of our salvation. Thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for things that money cannot buy that you're freely giving to us. We are grateful. Thank you that forever our relationship with you can never be severed by anything. We honor you for this privilege. Thank you for light. Thank you for comprehension. Thank you for clarity of thought. Thank you for clarity of expression. Thank you that there shall be no contradictions, no errors. The word of God shall come deeply and precisely and accurately divided in the knowledge of you, the Christ. May we, O oh God, be edified because you, Jesus, is glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are continuing uh, from yesterday and definitely we would have to understand that our acknowledging of the word and having a full recognition and appreciating the word is what makes the difference in our identification with the Lord Jesus. Amen. And so Philemon 6, and I pray that the participation in, where there's communication and the sharing of your faith may produce and promote so in this faith walk, there is a produce and there is what we herald, praise God. So what we produce and what we herald is revelation, is revelation, is revelation. It is everything to us. And in that revelation, we thrive. In that revelation, we thrive. So the believer does not thrive in anything. What we thrive in is divine revelation, insight. That is what makes all the difference. Insight into what? Insight into Christ. Having the full recognition and appreciation and understanding the precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in identification with Christ. And he said, and unto his glory. So, the believer rejoices in divine revelation. It is what makes them live above their world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he's a new creation, a new creature altogether. 
the old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. So this is not an overhauling of a being. No, that's why he said the fresh, the fresh and new has come. So you are a new breed of a human being on earth. What took place in the redemptive work is for you to have a new nature, which is a new spirit, which is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the spirit of adoption. We'll be looking at all of that. Okay. So we know that God took our place in Christ. God took our place in Christ. So what we are actually looking into is not whether God will heal you or not. That's not it at all. We are setting about that. But what we are looking into is why and how. So that you will not build your belief on false premise. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed correctly, analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So we know the word autotomio, like a surgeon who is in the theater or in the operation room and he is actually dissecting a body to take out cancer or to take out anything that is hindering the growth or the health of the body. They must be very skillful in how they take out what is not good so they don't lump up both what is good and bad together to cause harm to the body of the person. In the same way, there is a way that if you're not careful and you dissect the word, you can cause spiritual havoc to people, to Christians, or even to unbelievers because of how you don't skillfully analyze, handle the word. Praise God. And that's why you see me spending all of this time trying to explain maybe one thing. And I go to every extent to make sure that you get it on the T, because a semicolon can make a whole of difference, all right? One of the greatest disasters you can actually do to yourself is not to listen well or pay attention to details. And sometimes we are slow to hear, but quick to speak. And sometimes you imagine normally that maybe I said something that I have not said. Why? Because you are listening with a false understanding of the subject. And so it's always important that when you are listening, you put everything you know aside so that you can hear me well. Otherwise, you would have a lot of chokes in your mind. And it will actually make you think I said something that I didn't even say. And that's why you must also make sure that at every point in time, you go back and listen carefully. Because sometimes your brain can go ahead of you and link certain things that are not linkable. <laughs> and it is one of the things that can be very deceptive 
when you are listening. So, okay, because he said this, and then I know this scripture, then it means this scripture fits directly into it. And then you take it like that. Instead of making sure that you have to check and be sure that truly that is what it is. And so it, it, it causes a lot of havoc sometimes in listening to the word of God. Praise God. All right. Now, you realize that Jesus taught us how to do Bible study. Look at Luke 24, 25 to 27. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, sluggish in mind, dull of perception, slow of heart to believe. These are disciples. And yet, look at the adjectives that are being used. So it's like a disciple who is sluggish in mind, who is dull in perception, slow of heart. So you can be a disciple, and yet you don't have understanding. You can be in church, and yet not have understanding. So these guys that were met on the road to Emmaus were victims, and that's how Jesus addressed them. But look at what he said to them. Slow of heart to believe, adhere to, and trust in, and rely on everything that the prophets have spoken. Now, Jesus here makes it clear that these guys knew what the prophets had spoken. But they didn't have the right understanding of what the prophets have spoken. So you see, all their years, they've been going to the synagogue. All their years, they've been following Jesus. And so they see these scriptures, and yet their understanding of them, regarding whom the scripture was written about, they were lost. So he said, was it not necessary and essentially fitting that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer all these things before entering into his glory, his majesty and splendor. So Jesus got to know they didn't have understanding because they were referring to everything he came to do like a Hollywood star. Who came to do something and then all of a sudden he's been taking off the scene. They didn't even understand that it was a spiritual work and their redemption was in vogue. And they've been actually reading or studying the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms, all these while, and never knew, never understood. As a matter of fact, I thought that as disciples, they should have even seen signs. They didn't have it. So Jesus, what did he do? He didn't come and tell them, I've seen a vision. Okay, I command you. This is it. He started placing one scripture after the other. Just like I'm doing with you. The beginning. Then beginning with Moses. And throughout all the prophets. He went on explaining and interpreting to them. In all the scriptures. The things concerning and referring to himself. Praise God. So Jesus right here is telling us. How to dissect scripture. Number one. He must be in focus. What about him as being focused? His sufferings and the three-day event, dead burial resurrection, and then he entering into his glory, the post or the effect of the work of redemption. Praise God. Is that very clear? Right. So he had to correct their impression and open them up to its correct interpretation, explanation until they were clear. And they knew exactly what it meant. Look at 1 Peter 1.9. At the same time, you receive the result, outcome, consummation of your faith. 
the salvation of your souls. 10. The prophets who prophesied of the grace, divine blessing, which was intended for you. Watch this. Searched and inquired earnestly about this salvation. Did you just get that? So you could see that these prophets who prophesied, Peter is telling us they had a desire to know him. And they had a certain understanding about this salvation, the grace of God. They sought to find out to whom and when this was to come, which the Spirit of Christ working within them was indicating when he predict, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that they should follow them. Praise God. So, so the within them is not in their spirit. That's not what it is. Among them. So get it clear. So the spirit working among what? Them. Alright. So the spirit of Christ, as a matter of fact, the word here, the spirit of Christ, is more like a mumbled up translation. What it means to say is the spirit testifying of Christ. The spirit testifying of Christ. So we testify Regarding two things, the sufferings of the Christ and the glory that should follow. The sufferings of the Christ and the glory that should follow. All right, so all the scriptures, that was what they were doing. They were testifying. The word testifying is the word evidence. They were giving evidence. Get it clear. That's why he says that the scriptures, all scriptures are God's breath. For instruction. And they said for confirmation. For proof. Evidence. Okay? Evidence of the Christ. Praise God. Alright, so it shows clearly that Bible is written in the light of redemption. And when the apostles were writing in the epistles, they almost had nothing. Can you realize from the four gospels? Save what directly speaks to Christ's redemption. So in the epistles, it's not like they were talking about how Jesus slept and how, nothing like that. How Peter and, and this thing were eating good and, 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 and they, they just walked a journey. No! It was not about anybody's personal lifestyle. You didn't see them mentioning Peter's wife and what they were doing. Are you getting the point? And how their sons are growing? No. <laughs> no. Because it has no relationship with the message of the Christ and his burial, his dead burial and resurrection and its effect on the believer. Praise God. You see, so that's why when you are interpreting scripture and you have a skewed perspective of what holistically you are to look for, you get it wrong. And that's why you hear preachers giving certain interpretations and they will do it just to fit into that need of yours. Because for most of us, that's what makes us happy. Yes. So you want him to talk about your job. You want him to talk about how your promotion is going to come. But you never saw this in the epistles. It doesn't feature. All right? So, it is the event of his dead barrier resurrection that helps us understand 
and then also give the right testimony. Praise God. Alright, look at John 16, 12 to 13. I have still many things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them or to take them upon you or to grasp them now. So Jesus to his disciples, when he was about going to the cross, he said it categorically, that there are things that are deeper that you should know, but you can't have them now. Okay? But when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Watch this. The whole full truth. For he will not speak, watch this, his own message on his own authority. But he will tell whatever he hears from the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him. He will announce and declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, that will happen in the future. And he's talking about post-death burial resurrection. Okay? And that's how come the epistle then becomes what? The truth. The full truth. The full revelation. Alright? And where did they get them? From the prophets. The prophecies that were spoken were speaking to both the event and the effects of the event and how the believer will look like, will be living. And that's how come we are looking at Isaiah 53 and Psalm 110. Because that is what the apostles did. They picked what Isaiah said and they picked what David said. And they interpreted and explained them in light of the dead burial resurrection of the Christ. And how you and I feature in it. Praise God. So you will know whether you have a healing as your inheritance or not. Whatever you have been made, they open it up to you for what has already been prophesied that has been fulfilled in his death, burial, and resurrection. Praise God. Is that very clear? Yeah. So they're able to tell us how, they're able to tell us when, they're able to tell us what, they're able to tell us why. Are you getting the point? And so all of these form the full revelation. And that's why you hear Paul every time saying the mystery of the Christ, the mystery, okay, of the gospel, the mystery from the foundations of the world. So everything that was God's intention and pleasure for you and I to live and align in his perfect will has been made manifest in the Christ, in the event of his death, burial, and resurrection. Am I making myself very clear? So, sometimes you see something like maybe Paul talking about First Corinthians 11 and referring to the elements of the Passover, okay? And he said, okay, he will show you the lost death till he comes. And then somebody takes it literally and from there, all of us start eating bread and wine. Because we lack understanding. Because it's a language problem. Because they are focused. You see, the moment you understand that the Christ has come, the elements now have to be really... So Paul was actually speaking to how the essence of the Passover meal was to keep them 
from observing the sacrifices till he comes before. Because if you read Egypt, um, when they were coming out of Egypt, it was clear that this is an eternal statute. So now the elements will reveal that the Christ is going to come. When he comes, he will shed his blood. When Jesus also came, Jesus also retreated. This is the testament of my blood. So the moment he shed the blood, we are now to feed on him. So we feed on the Christ. We don't feed on elements. So the substance is in, the elements are really So it becomes a language problem. What was symbolical has now become the real. The real has shown up. So everything that is symbolic now goes back or is buried and then the substance is shut up. So ah, Hebrews 12 will say, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So you don't look to elements anymore. You look to Jesus. So the focus is Jesus and the work he has done. Praise God. Colossians 2, 16, 17 addresses that. He says, therefore, let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink. <laughs> I mean, so you see, the, everything was made clear in the epistles. Let nobody sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink or with regard to a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath. So we have to meet Saturday or we have to meet Sunday. All of these things are irrelevant. I mean, the, it's so crystal clear. Such things, watch it, are only the shadow of things that are to come. And they have only a symbolic value. Praise God. But the reality, the substance, the solid fact of what is foreshadowed, the body of it belongs to Christ. So that's why he's the spirit of truth. He has separated the truth from the false. The truth from the lie. The truth from the deception. Are you getting the point? So, in this, you receive the insight. Say, insight. Yeah, which is the truth. The truth. Hebrews 1.1, you know what is there? In sundry times, that God spoke through prophets in portions and measures. Now, he has spoken through who? Son. Who is the express image of the invincible God. So, truth is open to us. Praise God. And then 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how he has freely given us to know what eyes have not seen, what ears have not heard, nor entered into the heart of man. He is open to us. Freely given by his word, Spirit. So he says we know the counsels of God. His intent and purpose. Praise God. Right. What is it? The sufferings of the Christ. And the glory that should follow. Praise God. Yes. What the sufferings of the Christ is. What it brought us. The glory for which we have entered. Because he entered. Oh, amen. All right. So, don't forget, we're still looking at what? Psalm 1, 1, 0, and then what? 
Isaiah 53. Yesterday, we were able to look at the two direct quotes from Isaiah 53, verse 4 down. Is that correct? Yeah, we looked at what? Acts 8, where Philip encountered the Ethiopian eunuch, and then also we got into Matthew 8, verse 16 to 18, all right? And we settled that, clear. So the last one is 1 Peter 2, 24, 25. Then we'll go on to do other things, yeah? Okay, so let's read 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25. It's also one scripture that has been really abused. He personally bore our sins in his body on the tree as on altar and offered himself on it that we might die, cease, cease, sorry, to exist, to sin and live to righteousness. So the first part speaks directly to Christ there taking away what? Sins. Is that clear? Then the second, by his wounds, you have been healed. So that's where the problem is. So you see, for most people, what it means is that it was a two-way thing. At a part, he took sickness. At a part, he also took what? Our sins. And that is the same way, at a part, he also gave us money. So you see how false doctrine projects. So you see, now everything is now put in the dead burial and what? Resurrection. Okay. And so in the end, you lose the focus. You lose what? The focus. Of what exactly he came to do. All right. So let's look at the next. He says, for you, you are going astray like so many sheep. But now you have come back to the shepherd and garden, the bishop of your souls. This is powerful. And, and I think the, the scripture, we shouldn't even have gone into it, don't you think so? Because it's so clear that he's speaking to taking away things. You all have gone what? Astray. So a severed relationship that has now been brought back. Jesus talked about the lost sheep of what? Israel. I mean, it's so clear. Okay, so let's look at Isaiah 53, 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. We treated that, right? Okay. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquity. The chastisements of our peace or needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has made to light upon him the guilt and iniquity of us all. So, so, so you can see how Peter quoted Isaiah. It looks like verbatim. Correct? Okay. Now, Peter used the word bore, the Greek word anaphero, which correspondently is the Hebrew word used in Isaiah 53 as nasa. Nasa. Now, for most, for most people, what they think is that 
By his stripes you were healed. He bore them. It means that he bore the sickness on his body. So he bore the sickness on his body on the cross. But like I said yesterday, we didn't see hypertension. Or we didn't see leprosy. Or we didn't see what? Give me one. On his body. But we also know he died. So we know about that exchange of death. Because don't forget about for us, Huper. Oh, hello. Do you understand it? So what it means is that if he came to take our place in sickness, then it means that he died for us. Do you get it? So he took our sicknesses as well. So then we should be able to see the sicknesses also what? On him. Do you get it now? If he took death, he died. If he took sicknesses, then he should be sick. So if it, it is meant that <laughs> he took our sicknesses or he bore them on his body, then there's a problem. Clear. Does that make sense? Okay. By whose stripes is the word bruise? Say bruise. You know, yes. Which actually references judgment. Yeah. It references judgment. The word bruise references judgment. It is not like physical word bruise. Uh-huh. That's not it. But it's in reference to somebody who has been judged and is facing a certain punishment. Do you get the point? For something that is done. Hello? Yeah. So that's actually what it is. Don't forget, he didn't do anything. Ours have been placed what? So the judgment that should come on us is the judgment that has what? Okay, and that bruised him. Are you getting it? Okay. The word healed used there is the Greek word Iomai. I-A-O-M-A-I. I-A-O-M-A-I. And truly, it's normally used for physical healing. But there are several portions of scripture where Iomai was used for spiritual things. And I'm going to show you. Look at the parable of the sower in the four gospels. Matthew 13, 15. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. Ayoma is there. The word heal. Do you get that? Is he talking about blind people? Is he talking about deaf people? Do you understand it? Okay. Look at Mark 4, 2, uh, 12. Look at how. Mark renders his, so that see, they may see and not perceive. Hearing, they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn. And what? And they are what? Their sins be forgiven them. So you see how he renders. The healing is the forgiveness of what? Sins. Look at Luke 8, 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be what? Saved. So you can see that the word heal, Ioma, has been used for salvation and for what? Forgiveness. Oh, praise God. All right. Let me give another one in the epistles. Hebrews 12, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make Straight paths for your feet, 
so that what is lame may be dislocated, but may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. The word ayoma. Is he talking about healing the lame? He's talking about people who are spiritually down that need to be restored. Are you here with me? I've used this scripture for us to pray severally. So he's talking about restoration. The word there is restore. All right. So it is quite clear that the word ayoma must be used in context. It doesn't necessarily mean physical healing. It can be used also for spiritual word healing. Is that very clear? Which has to do with salvation of the soul. Forgiveness of sin. Is that very clear? Oh, is that very clear? All right. So we can end this part, all these direct quotes, by saying that Jesus didn't suffer sickness during his healing ministry to be referenced that he took our place in sickness. Clear? Is that very clear? All right. Let's move now to Isaiah 53, 7 to 11. We dealt with 4 to 6. Let's go to 7 to 11. I'm sure. Let's finish it with the 12. That's all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he was submissive and opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers, is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who among them considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken to his death. For the transgression of my, that's Isaiah's people, that's Israel, to whom the stroke was due. Are you getting the point? Deserve judgment. And they assigned him in him a grave. Watch this, with the wicked. Sharing Hades with the, with the what? With the wicked. Are you getting the point? Yes. And with a rich man in his death. Clear. Although he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. Are you getting it? You see the word bruise here? Okay. He has put him to grief. Watch this. And made him sick. Are you getting the point? So, made him sick is talking about what? Sin. When you and he Make his life an offering for what? Oh, say it. An offering for what? So the bruise, the grief, and the sick is a representation of him being what? An offering for sin. Is that very clear? And he has risen from the dead. In time to come, he shall see his spiritual offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will and pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. So you can see already the projection of the church. I will build my church. Are you getting the point? And the gates of Hades shall not what? Prevail. Are you getting it? And the spiritual offsprings, which is the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, which is called the spiritual word, offspring. Is that very clear? Why is he still here? Because we've passed here. I, I'm, we're at 11, right? He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul. So you can see that the giving was not a body thing. It was a soul thing. Praise God. Do you understand the point? Yes. It was a soul thing. So the travail, the suffering of the Christ 
was the suffering of the soul in Hades as sin. So the human who has become what? Sin. Taking the place of all humanity. Praise God. Is that very clear? That's why he said, be, and be satisfied by his knowledge of himself, which he possesses and imparts to others. Shall my uncompromisingly righteous one, my servant, justify many? Can you realize that? So he's telling us the focus. It is the knowledge of him that is imparted for your growth. Number one, that is what justifies you. Oh, are you getting the point? So your justification is in knowing him. How do you know him? The work of redemption. That he died. That he was buried. And that he resurrected. Praise God. Watch what he says. He says, and make many righteous. In other words, upright and in right standing with God. For he shall bear their iniquities and their guilt with the consequences, says the Lord. Eternal death, eternal damnation. Therefore, I would divide him a portion with the great kings and rulers. And he shall divide the spoil with the mighty. Because he poured out his life unto death. Can you see Philippians 2 right there? Giving him a name above that at the mention of the name Jesus. <laughs> okay? Because he poured out his life unto death and he let himself be regarded as a criminal. You see? So this is where Paul quoted from. Philippians 2. He did not regard his godness but became a born servant and died the death of a criminal, Philippians 2, and be numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore and took away the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Praise God. It's a Hebrew also quoted from. So you see, so you can see that in all of the epistles, Isaiah 53 has been quoted all over and explained all over. Praise God. So this is actually where Paul finds his theology. Isaiah 53. Okay? Look at Romans 5. Paul expounded his theology from the prophecy. Isaiah in Isaiah 53. Look at what he says. Go. Let's all read. Go. But the free, God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. For if many die through one man's falling away, his lapse or his offense, much more profusely did God's grace and free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. Can you see Isaiah chapter 11? Uh, uh, um, 53 verse 11 there, right? Okay, good. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. For the sentence, in other words, following the trespass of one man brought condemnation. Whereas the free gift, following many transgressions, brings justification, an act of righteousness. Praise God. Continue for me. For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness 
putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Praise God. All right. So you can see clearly how Paul explaining the prophecy of Isaiah regarding the atonement of the Christ, the sin offering of the Christ, and how Adam's lapse was exchanged on the cross in the heads and also in his resurrection. Praise God. All right. And we were freed from the power and the dominion of sin. Well then, as one man's trespass, one man's false step, and falling away led to condemnation for all men. So, one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal, right standing with God, and life for all men. Oh, praise God. Yes, for just as by one man's disobedience, failing to hear, heedlessness and carelessness, the many were constituted, you see the word used, constituted. Sinners, they did not sin, but the constitution of the composition of the body, you get to the point, puts them into that category. So by one man's disobedience, he said what? The many, are you getting the point? In the same way has constituted us. Are you getting the point? Yes. has con So it is endorsed. It has been legally approved. Nothing changes it. It's a divine eternal order. Your sins have been taken away. They have been forgiven. And he shall remember them no more. And he used the word carefully. Many, many, say many. So it's very important to know. That's why we receive. He has made provision for all. But you receive why do we only receive? We don't give our lives to him. We only receive because we are dead. A dead man cannot give anything. So a dead man has no life. And that's what we are going to get to right now. All right? Because you are dead. And if you are dead, you don't have life. So you can only receive life. Praise God. All right. So you remember where Jesus says that I have come to give you life, right? Eh? And I'll give it more. All right. And so, it, it is one of the things. Where, so, abundant life means that you're having money. And that's how we preach it. Abundant life. So, ask yourself, the people Jesus was talking to, were they not breathing? Ah, no, were they not breathing? Didn't they have life? So, it means that he was talking about life. It meant more than biological life. Oh, praise God. Yes. So he was talking about spiritual life. Okay. And the adjective used there abundantly meant that he was giving it out of the generosity of his heart with all willingness and reservedly. Are you getting the point? Yes. It is the quality of his giving that is expressed in the abundance. He has nothing to do with money, cars, and assets, and all of that. No, nothing at all to do with that. Nothing. As a matter of fact, look at Jesus using something here. Matthew 9, 12. Everybody, lift up your head. Look at Jesus. Let's all go. But when Jesus heard it, he replied, Those who are strong and well, neither healthy, have no need of a physician, but those who are weak and what? Sick. So when Jesus heard it, 
He made this statement. What did he hear? Take us to the 11, the pretext. Let's all read, go. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your master eat with tax collectors and those preeminently sinful? So using the physician and the sick was not because of healing, was because of sin. So you can see clearly the focus of scripture. Oh, are you here with me? Very clear, very clear. All right, so we have looked at Isaiah 53, when used by the Holy Spirit in guiding the apostles in bringing the church into revelation clearly regarding the sacrifices of Christ and how he took away our sins to remember them no more. All right? So Jesus didn't become sick to carry sickness in his body. That would be absurd, yeah? But that the judgment of sin was rather laid upon him for our sakes. Praise God. All right? You know, so if you pick a scripture like Psalm 103, verse 1 to 3, bless, affectionately, gratefully praise the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's deepest within me, bless his holy name, bless, affectionately, gratefully praise the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not one of or all his, what? Benefits. Watch this. Who forgives every one of all your iniquities? Clear. Who heals each one of all your... So you see, this scripture is straightforward. He proceeds to let you know that the main work is forgiving all your word. But there are benefits that come by healing our word. Disease. You see, scripture. So you don't turn scripture upside down. What the scripture is saying, project it. You project what the scripture is saying. You don't put your own interpretation into what? The scripture. It's direct. Is that very clear? Okay. All right. So there's no doubt that it is referencing physical healing. Correct? Yeah. And seriously, if you look at theologically everything, there's no other translation. It is very direct. It is very straightforward. Is that okay? All right. Grace, glorious grace. At the cross, you called it finished. Thank you for listening to Grace Bills by Reverend Josh Lai, Lead Pastor, Caris Center International. We believe the word has begun a good work in you. May God's amazing grace lead you to a peaceful and joy-filled life. Caris Center International, living heaven on earth.